What a great team tonight. Sean's crazy. Sean is one of the bravest people I've ever met in my life. And he loves... Oh, he's on the cover of Charisma magazine. I should be on the cover of a magazine. When are they going to put me on that magazine, man? You should write to them and tell them. <laughs> it's a long story. Anyway, you're on the front of the magazine. Can you, like, put in the word for me? Like, I've been trying to get on that magazine forever. I got you, bro. You got me? All right. There it is. Sean, seriously, one of the most, the bravest, goes to the, uh, the most dangerous places in the world. That's crazy. Went over his house when he lived in Pennsylvania, and he's got all kinds of dead animals. He's got a whole room of dead animals everywhere. Trophies, huge, like Bill would even lust in there. Have you ever been in there? I took a video of it for you when I was there. Yeah, it was like, I'm glad Bill hasn't been there. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Well, have any of you been to Brazil before? I really am falling in love with Brazil. I've only been twice. Yeah, I'm with you, baby, right there. But the one thing you have a little bit of hard time culturizing is, yes, is uh, <laughs> they don't eat till like 10 o'clock at night. So we ate after the sessions, which was 11 o'clock at night. And people are like, oh, you have jet lag. I'm like, no, I haven't digested my food yet. It, I didn't finish till one in the morning. So you lay awake at night, and you're like, oh, I am so... Every night I'm like, I'm not eating tonight. They're like, oh, you, you're going to eat? I'm like, no, no, not tonight. Then they bring the food. I'm like, maybe I'll just have a little bit of that. And I'm laying in bed that night I, for seven days. I'm like, I said I wasn't going to eat. My stomach hurts so bad. So my stomach's like, uh-uh. I'm like, you can't control my tongue. <laughs> so anyway, I really love those people. It was really great to, to be home and um, love being home. And Bill's message this morning was just really amazing. I really love um, where he's leading us and the way he's leading us. And, and um, just the whole thing, well, the whole thing was great about communion, of course. How many of you were not here this morning? It's one of those messages you really need to, wow, where were you guys? You were saving it up for me, huh? That's what I got you. <clears throat> Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Anyway, that was a joke. Um, streaming, okay. <laughs> it's one of those messages that you have to, you, you should get on Bethel TV and listen to. It was really, really that good. But Bill, one of the things that Bill shared was about... Um, Actually, it was just about what he prays for, but he happened to share about how he deals with people who are opposed to him. And I thought it was really beautiful. It was a great example. You know, Jesus said, love your enemies. You know, you have to have some. If you don't have any enemies, you're not doing anything. And uh, I, was, I was thinking, you know, sometimes the enemy, you know, the enemy, he resists you at your point of destiny. It's kind of a compliment. I was thinking about judges. It has nothing to do with my message, but maybe it will. <laughs> in, in Judges chapter 6, uh, um, the story of Gideon. When the Lord gives Gideon this ridiculous plan about, you remember this plan? God tells him, okay, here's how you're going to beat 
the enemy army with 300 guys. You're going to take some jars and some candles and some trumpets. Did you notice anything missing? <laughs> like swords, you know, like, like weapons. And you're going to, here's what you're going to do. You're going to, you're going to light the candles and you're going to blow the trumpets and break the jars. <laughs> Can you imagine Gideon's like, is there anybody else up there? Like, and then God tells him, I love this story. I, just, I think I've told this story three times in the last six months. Like, I love this story. Then God says to him, well, if you're afraid, then go down into the enemy's camp and see what, he's, see what the enemy's saying about you. So Gideon takes one of his friends. They sneak down in the enemy's camp. And just as he gets there, one enemy soldier is saying to the other enemy soldier, I had a dream last night. The other guy goes, well, what was it? So I had a dream of this big tumbleweed, and it came in, and it rolled over all of our tents. And the other soldier goes, the enemy soldier goes, that's none other than Gideon. He's been anointed to kill us all. <laughs> I'm like, do you realize the enemy knows your destiny better than you do? He's not afraid of your past, but he's terrified of your future. Amen. That's just a good word. Well, at that point, we should pray. And we hope it gets better than that. <laughs> so why don't you grab a hand and we'll pray. and You can get a boyfriend. If you're a girl. <laughs> Sorry. We have to clarify in California. So Lord, we just bless what you're doing, these people, your people. We thank you for this noble people, Lord. We thank you for people in our broader community watching online. We just bless each family tonight. We just bless each family. Lord, we pray that this would be like when the Ark of the Covenant went to Obedium's house and everything in his house was so blessed that the king said, i got to get the Ark back. Lord, we pray for the presence of God to be so realized in the homes represented by this tribe that people will be like, i got to get that. i got to get more of that. And Lord, we bless your people. I want you just to bless the person you're holding hands with. I just want you to honestly, with all of your heart, just bless them right now. Just don't have to prophesy over them. Just bless them. Just, I bless you in the name of the Lord. I bless everything that concerns you. Just say, I bless everything that concerns you. I bless everything you might be worried about. I bless everything that, you, that has to deal with your destiny. Just do that right. I bless your destiny. Just keep praying. I bless your destiny. We're not even praying. We're just blessing them right now. I bless your destiny. I bless your children. Come on. I bless your finances. I bless your relationships. This is a great word. Amen. You can let go of hands. Some of you are like, oh. Um, this morning, I, I had a... I don't, want to, I don't know if it was an encounter, but I had this... Well, we were worshiping in first service this morning, um, those of you who weren't here. Good thing Jesus didn't show up, huh? You'd be reading those books left behind. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was my sense of humor. Um, but um, when we were worshiping, I just felt like Isaiah 6 came to my mind. Um, and I, I really want to talk a little bit about tonight and um, just see where we go. So turn to Isaiah chapter 6. I actually um, 
read some of this this morning in the prayer time. Isaiah chapter 6, and we're just going to start from verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, and each having six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And he called out one to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And he, and, and he said, no, I'm sorry, verse 5, Then I said, speaking of Isaiah, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am a man ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. And then one of the serpents flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, and he touched which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Everybody say, Here I am. Send me. Um, There's... There's lots of things that come to my mind as we were reading, even this morning, just during the prayer time when we were praying into this, these verses. And Isaiah, he sees the Lord, and immediately he sees his own sin and his weakness. And I was thinking about, and he said, here's his response. Oh no, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I... And his second part of his response is also telling, and I live among people with unclean lips. Like, I, I have issues, and I live with people with issues. <laughs> I don't know, some of you are laughing. <laughs> it's a serious passage of Scripture. <laughs> Choose where you laugh if you don't mind. Maybe I'll lift my finger when I'm being funny, and then when I'm not, like... <laughs> You know, there's, a, there's the critical spirit that finds fault in people. And uh, in fact, uh, Paul said that to Timothy, when he wrote to Timothy, he said, in the last days there'll be fault finders. And there, there are people like that. They just, I think that sometimes it's kind of, I don't know if it's the misery love company or if it's I feel better about myself when I find something wrong with you kind of syndrome. But there's that kind of spirit. But I don't think that's the spirit that Isaiah is speaking out of. I think he sees the Lord and he suddenly realizes that out of the presence of a holy God, you know, this, the angels around the Lord are singing, holy, holy, holy. And I think the revelation that Isaiah receives is that the Lord is so holy. And when he receives, when he sees how holy the Lord is, he suddenly realizes that he doesn't measure up. And he suddenly, and, and I, I'm just, now this is a little subjective, of course, but then he has, maybe he has this thought of the people that, like, does anyone measure up that I know? And he has this, no, I actually live among people who don't measure up. Like, none of us measure up. Like, it's, it's hopeless. And he maybe 
maybe he feels a sense of hopelessness, that he's overcome with hopelessness in the sense that the Lord is so holy and he's so unworthy to even be in his presence and he, he doesn't actually have a friend who, who is worthy of being in his presence. And, and there's this overwhelming sense of true conviction that I really am not worthy to be in this place. And this morning I talked about this. Uh, maybe I'll just fast forward to that because I, I'm going to go someplace else. But I, I, I do feel uh, that there's an anointing in this season. And I talked about it maybe three or four weeks ago that we're in a Kairos moment. And a Kairos moment, for the sake of not spending a bunch of time on it, is when divine opportunity meets divine favor. How many of you know... Um, Esther, great example. One of the most popular examples in the Bible. How many know divine favor was on Esther? But a Kairos moment was when Haman wants to hang all the Jews. How many understand that's a Kairos moment? And when Esther has divine favor, how many know Kairos moments when divine favor meets divine opportunity? And I believe with all my heart that we, and when I say we, so let me tell you what I mean by we. I don't mean just Bethel, and sometimes we just speak to Bethel. But I think that as a people on the planet, which would include the Russians, the Iranians, the Jews, the Americans, the Europeans, and Africans, and Asians, and so on and so forth. So I'm just being clear, like, I mean everybody. That we're in a divine Kairos moment that these times don't happen often globally. They do happen with a people group. They do happen in a person's life. But I, I don't know if I've ever been alive or if I was alive during a Kairos moment globally. I didn't, wasn't aware that it was one. Maybe the Jesus movement would have been a Kairos moment, but it was localized. Are you following me? So I believe that we are in a Kairos moment when divine favor is on the people, especially the people of God, but I would say it's on the world, and I'm not talking about worldliness, and it's a divine opportunity, and they're meeting. And things happen in Kairos moments, which you should go back and listen to the message, because I think I did a much better job there. But one of the things that marks Kairos moments is divine acceleration. And the, one, of the, one of my favorite examples, because I love the book of Nehemiah, Bill introduced me to the book of Nehemiah years ago, teaching out of it years ago in our home group. Had had to be 30 years ago. But I love the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is sent to rebuild walls. We don't need to know the whole story tonight, but here's the point. The walls have been torn down for 152 years. The Israelites have spent 70 years trying to rebuild them, and what they couldn't get done in 70 years... Nehemiah and his team did in 52 days. How many know that's a Kairos moment? <laughs> that is excel, divine acceleration. And so I love this passage of scripture because there's two things happening in the scriptures always in my mind. There's lots of things happening, but as far as attitude towards the subject, there's perseverance, and it's the Luke 18 story of the widow and the judge, right? And, and this is one side of the kingdom, if you will. It's one side of the kingdom thinking. It's like, what do I do when I pray and nothing happens? Well, keep praying. Well, I, I, I've prayed three days. Pray four. And that's the reality. It's like, I don't stop. I just keep praying. Well, when do I stop? Did you get an answer? 
No, then keep praying. <laughs> and there's this divine, and I have to say this, that every generation has its strengths and weaknesses. And my grandfather's generation, perseverance was a strength in that generation. And I have to say, and I've said it to our students many times, and not in a way to demean another generation, but just to point out, hey, there's a weakness here, and that is this generation is the instant gratification generation. We're the Google God. We can get anything in a second. And if, you know, if I get in line at, at Burger King and I don't eat in four minutes, I'm like, they call this fast food. <laughs> and for all of us that are a little older, we remember when grandma's fast food First of all, you didn't have a menu. <laughs> Grandma said, hey, we're having chicken. I don't want chicken. Well, you, well you'll be eating tomorrow. <laughs> When's dinner? Two hours. I'm hungry now. What's that have to do with when dinner is? <laughs> so perseverance, <laughs> it's funny. Hey, I want to say something to young people. You're gonna, this is a real, you, you, you'll, you have to read about this. People used to stop buying things when they ran out of money. Can you imagine? Like, you couldn't actually, listen, you couldn't actually buy something if you couldn't afford it. Think about that kind of world, folks. Like, you want a boat, but you can't actually afford one, so you can't have it. <laughs> I mean, this is perseverance. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'd like to have a $5 coffee, but I don't have the dollars in my pocket, so I actually can't have one. Some of you are like, oh my God. What was that like? What would it like to be thirsty and have no money? Yeah, we used to drink out of fountains. No, no, no. I drank out of a rubber hose at home. If I wasn't being whipped with it. <laughs> I had an ongoing relationship with both sides of the hose. But anyway... Sorry. Actually, when I thought through this message tonight, it didn't seem funny. <laughs> but my point is, is that perseverance is a part of the kingdom. And it's a part that we actually, frankly, in some ways need to redig that well. And I, I don't mean it in a harsh way, but we need to redig that well in the sense of the world may have passed that by, but the kingdom hasn't. <laughs> There's more to say about that, but I don't want to go there. The other side of that is miracles and instant. And I, I, I love this story, as I shared this morning, because Isaiah sees this problem, and he doesn't know what to do about it, and he just starts crying out, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live with, with people who are unclean lips. I, oh, I don't know what to do. And immediately an angel takes a coal from the altar, puts it on his tongue, and says, not anymore. And the reason why I'm saying that tonight is because I feel like this I just preached is important, but this right now is the word of the Lord right now. Like there are people in this room, you're in bondage. You're in some sort of bondage. And when I say bondage, something controls you that you don't feel like you have control over. Now let me just say this. If you're a believer, it's not real. It's not real that it has control over you. But we, every single person in this room absolutely knows what I'm talking about. It feels real. It's not real that food controls you. It feels real. Very real. 
And God comes and he goes, I got this. Right now, right here. If you have any kind of addiction, stand up right now. The Lord's going to deliver you right now. You have any kind of addiction. You have anything right now. You're not standing because you're telling everyone, I have this horrible addiction. If you knew me, you wouldn't like... like, You haven't something that feels like it controls you. I don't care if it's your diet, if it's drugs, alcohol, if it's your sexuality, if it's something that's very socially acceptable. You have something that controls you. Just stand up right now. Humility is super good for us. And I have stood more often than probably anybody in this church for stuff like this, so I I can ask you to do the same. You have any kind of thing that feels like controls you, I'm telling you, Isaiah is telling us right now, God's going to deliver you right now. Stand right now. Well, I don't know what people are going to think about me. Well, maybe that's your addiction. Maybe you're addicted to, to the fear of man. Maybe you need to stand for that. Like, if you're not standing because you're afraid what someone's thinking about you, can you imagine? You are in the house of God. What the heck matters what they think about you when you're standing before God? Seriously. I'm going to pray for you right now. Actually, I'm going to give you this word. So just get in receive mode. Why don't you just put your hand on your heart. It's just kind of a, a, a stance of humility. Lord, I just release this word right now. This word, the same thing you did for Isaiah some 2,500 years ago. I pray you do it in this room right now and with everybody who's standing watching us on Bethel TV. I pray every single person who you said, if you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. If you ask, it'll be given to you. And these folks who are standing right now, they've humbled themselves in front of the rest of this family. And it took courage. And Lord, I thank you that you honor courage and faithfulness. And I release right now an anointing to break yokes. Whatever it is, it might be something simple. It might be something that's been in their family line for five generations. But whatever it is right now, I release people from it. Uh, There's someone online the Lord's releasing you from a molestation spirit. You've been molesting kids. And the Lord's delivering you right now. You've been arrested twice and the Lord is delivering you right now. You're a man. You're being delivered right now instantly. And people say molesters can't be delivered, but you're being delivered right now. The Lord's delivering you. We release that over you in Jesus' name right now. That the Lord's delivering you. And the Lord's delivering every single person here. And I want you just to do something really simple. Just say, I receive that for myself. I receive freedom for myself, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can sit. I was thinking about Isaiah and his revelation that he lives with a people of unclean lips and that he himself is unclean. And I was thinking about this, this, sometimes when we, one of the side effects of not being in the presence of the Lord is we begin to get comparative righteousness. You can look pretty good depending on who you compare yourself to. And when you start feeling bad about yourself, you just find some people who are worse off than you. And I'm not saying in a way of helping them. Of course, we should help everyone. So please, that's not what I'm talking about. But I hang around with people who are more broken, more, if you will, on the scale of they do more evil things than I do, and I compare myself to them, and I feel righteous comparably. Then all of a sudden I come in the presence of the Lord, 
and I look in the mirror. Remember, when I'm looking at Jesus, it's like looking in the mirror, and I begin to realize that I actually had comparative righteousness. I felt good because I was better than other people, but I didn't feel good because I was actually comparing myself to righteousness. And I think this is part of, the, this is part of what happens to all of us when we don't actually connect with the Lord. When we don't actually, like when we keep the rules, but when we don't actually have an ongoing relationship. Now, I'm not talking about getting saved at all. And I think Bill gave a great illustration about the process of salvation. I received Jesus Christ, I got saved. But then I'm working out my salvation every day. But how many know, if I don't connect with the Holy Spirit, how many know that my salvation, the Holy Spirit's working on me, but I'm not sure he's working in me, not because he doesn't want to, but because my will's involved. Does that make sense? There's another thing that just came to my mind this morning, and that is, sometimes when we hang around people, well, maybe it would help if I just read this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, Don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. It does matter who you allow in your life, who you hang around with. It does matter. It makes a difference in your life. And one of the things I, I, I see happen a lot of times, even with ministers, like when I say ministers, I'm talking about like people who get paid for, like career ministers, is that they hang around with broken people, and it compassion, um, you know, compassion for others helps us to understand how other people think, but that doesn't mean that I should take on their mindsets. And sometimes compassion becomes perversion when we reduce our convictions to embrace the broken. Let me say it again. Compassion becomes perversion when we reduce our convictions to embrace the broken. I'll see it honestly too often. When somebody hangs around with, with people who are in poverty. And by the way, how many know we should touch everyone's? Please, if you're hearing this message, don't touch certain people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying watch how you think. This message is about thinking like the kingdom. It's great that I hang around with people. How many of you know i got to be the light in darkness? I mean, where do I want to be? In the deepest darkness. That's where we need the most light. So this isn't don't touch people. They're going to pollute you. This is watch over your heart without diligence because from it flows the issues of life. And what I'm getting at is sometimes we, we get, I've watched people touch people who are, in, who are in true poverty. And pretty soon, they don't like the rich. They don't like the wealthy. They have an attitude against anyone who has things. And I'm like, what, what, how, how are you bringing light when you became darkness? I've watched people reach into the homosexual community. And by the way, how many know we should reach into every community? So this is, again, not of like, hey, someone shouldn't be touched. And, but I've watched people come out with the new theology about homosexuality. I'm like, wait a second. Hanging out with people who are sinners, which we all once were, doesn't mean that we should take on their convictions. I met with a man not, not too long ago, uh, maybe a year ago, and he was telling me about a son, his son who had, had um, really struggled with, with homosexuality as a 16-year-old, and then in his early 20s, finally found happiness through getting married to another man. And it was just his, you know, father to father. We were speaking father to father. He was very, 
broken and, and hurt. And he said to me, I've changed the way I think about this homosexuality. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have the kind of relationship I w- would have with some of you. But I'm thinking, you have full permission to love your son in any condition. You don't have to change your convictions to love your son. You're not even helping your son when you change your convictions. Compassion, I can have the greatest compassion for the person who's the most opposed to the king and his kingdom. I can have great compassion for him, but it can't become like them. And truly, when I become like them, I am not helping them. This is how we become a people, godly people, among a broken people, and then finally connect with the Lord and realize we become like the people who are broken. And we live in a world that was prophesied by Isaiah. He said, there will come a time when people call evil good and good evil. I'm telling you, like we're in a season, we're, we're, we're in a great season. We're also in a season that definitely needs light. I would say that if I looked out at the world, and someone, if someone was to push me and say, what do you think the greatest problem in the world is? Well, well, obviously Jesus. The lack of Jesus, of course. But I would say a lack of fatherhood which has resulted in no identity. I would say the whole sexual identity, the whole sexual culture crisis is an identity crisis. I don't even know what sex I am anymore. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't, a crisis meant you didn't know what you wanted to do for a living. I'm not being funny. I mean, I remember growing up, and I knew what I wanted to do for a living, even though it's not what I'm doing now. But, you know, I grew up with a grandfather who actually did lead me. <laughs> he actually did influence me. By the way, it's okay to influence your kids to do something with their life. I don't want my kids to be forced into religion. Well, they'll be forced into something else. And by the way, I'm not talking about forced. I'm talking about encouraged. But I remember, you know, most of my friends had no idea what they wanted to do for a living. I remember 17, 18, even 19 years old, hanging out with a bunch of guys going, I just don't know if I should go to college. I mean, that was the crisis. What am I supposed to do? It wasn't, who am I? Now the crisis is, I don't know if I'm a male or a female. I have a sex drive that includes both, so maybe I should just be bisexual or pansexual. That means it'll all pan out. I don't know what that means. (laughs) I always make up words. Like, I'm so confused, I make up new words to describe what sex sex I am. That's not a joke. I mean, who heard of pansex five years ago? This This is the confusion. And the thing is, it's popular to be confused about who you are. You're beautiful. So much of this is not just a disconnection from fathers in a house, but some of it's a disconnection from Heavenly Father. When Isaiah sees the Lord, a lot of things become really clear for him. And I, I think that it's easy... Let me, maybe I'll just point at myself. Like, I am in so many services every week singing the same songs. 
Thank God they write new ones every week. I don't know what I'd do if we were like 50 years ago or 40 years ago, like, this little light of mine. Like, I've sang this nine times this week. I've been in nine services. Or Father Abraham. I'm like, oh, Lord, if you sing Father Abraham one more time and then throw myself off the altar. So aren't you glad we live in a community of artists that's beautiful? But my real point is, is that it's real easy to, to be in the room and not actually be here at all. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, one of those people that need to really learn to focus, just learning to focus, just be present, be in the presence, be present in the presence. Allow the Lord to speak to you, like actually see the angels flying over you instead of the things going around you. And I am 100% speaking to me. How many am I speaking to anyone else in here? Like just being here, being focused, being in the moment. Like, okay, we have one hour. I'm not saying we have one hour of worship because I think life is worship. But we have one hour of this kind of intensity. Like we take advantage of it. Let's get close. Let's see the Lord. And when I see the Lord, you know, it's seeing the Lord so beautiful, but it does make everything clear. It just makes everything clear. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, I remember we, we, we were, uh, did a, a convalescent hospital ministry for five years. Convalescent hospital people, the people in convalescent hospitals, they're not super exciting. I mean, if Chris preached in there, he wouldn't be raising the dead. We'd be killing the dead. We'd be killing the... Anyway, that wasn't funny, but... Sounded so funny in my head. But I remember this one lady, the entire five years she was in the convalescent hospital, and her favorite song was At the Cross. Can you sing At the Cross? I'm like, sure. But that beautiful song about when I came to the cross, I actually saw the light, and the burden of my life rolled away. And it was there by faith that I received my sight. And now I'm happy all day. That really simple song is about being in the presence and getting focused. Maybe we would say some, some words that come to my mind are getting centered, finding true north. All of these things, we get really busy. And we, when we get in the presence, like, oh, that's where we're going. Oh, that's wrong. Have you ever been great with something you're doing? You've been, you've been doing it for months, and all of a sudden you come, maybe it's Sunday morning or some, some place where you make a connect, and all of a sudden what you thought was fine is like, oh my goodness, I can't even believe I thought that was okay. How many of you have had one of those moments? I've had many of those in my life. Maybe it's an attitude or something you said to someone or a letter you wrote or you know, something that happened or something you looked at on the internet or something, and you're like, it, it was all cool, and then all of a sudden... You get connected with God, and suddenly, like, it's a suddenly, like, whoa, whoa, wait, I got, like, I am 20 degrees off center, and it's so important. Um, it's really interesting, he, Isaiah 6.1 begins with, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is, uh, turn to Second Chronicles chapter 26. We have about 20 minutes left. Second Chronicles chapter 26. I want to show you a really interesting story and see if I can tie it into Isaiah's when 
in the year King Uzziah died. Chapter 26, verse 3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned 52 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Janiah, something like that, of Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father, Amasa, had done. He continued to seek the Lord in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through visions, and, I'm sorry, who had understanding through the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. Let me just read the last part because I thrashed it so bad. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father Uzziah had done. He continued to seek the Lord in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through, visions, through the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. Now, I want to read you the Message Bible in this, because it really, I, I really like the way it says this. Um, verse 3, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zechariah, something like that, from Jerusalem. He behaved well in the eyes of the Lord, falling in the footstep of his father, Amazah. He was a loyal seeker of God. He was well trained by his pastor and teacher, Zechariah, to live in reverent obedience before God. For as long as Zariah lived, Uzziah lived godly, and God prospered him. Um, I probably need to tell you the rest of the story and then come back to this. So Uzziah is, starts out pretty well. He's a pretty godly king. And especially if you go through, read through the book of Kings or the book of Chronicles, um, Uzziah is a king that kind of stands out as a good guy. And as long as Zechariah was alive, Zechariah was a prophet who obviously God spoke through through dreams and visions. And as long as he stayed connected to Zechariah, he prospered. But when Zechariah died, Uzziah started to fall away from the Lord. Now, I, let me read you some more. Look at uh, verse uh, 6. Now he, speaking to Uzziah, went out and warred against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabeth and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the area of Ashdod among the Philistines. And God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs. And, and he lived in Jerubal and many nights, something like that. And the Amorites also gave tribute to Uzziah, and his fame extended to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, and at the valley gate, and at the corner, and at the corner butt rest, and fortified them. He built towers in the wilderness, and he hewed many cisterns, for he had much livestock, both in the lowland and in the plain. He also had plowmen and vine dressers in the hill country, and in fertile fields, and he loved, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army ready for battle, which he entered, which he entered combat by division, according to the number of, of their mustard, in, prepared by Jael, the scribe, and Manasseh, the official, under the direction of Haniah, one of the king's officers. And the total number of the heads of household of valiant warriors was 2,600. Under their direction was an elite army of 307,500 who could wage war with great power to help the king against the enemy. Moreover, Uzziah prepared all the army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and sling stones. In Jerusalem, he made, listen to this, I love this. In Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men to be on towers and on corners for the purpose of shooting arrows 
and great stones. Hence his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. Next verse. But he became but when he became very strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. He was unfaithful to the Lord, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And when Isaiah, when Azariah the priest entered after him, and with him eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. I love this. Eighty priests of the Lord, they were all valiant men. They were eighty priests, but they were valiant men. They opposed Uzziah the king, and said to him, It's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you, will, and you have no honor from the Lord. But Uzziah, with a censer in his hand and burning incense, was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord, besides the altar of incense. And, and Uzziah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And they hurried him out of there, And he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. He lived in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Well, that is a long but powerful story. Just the story just read is powerful, is it not? Can everyone say, thank God we don't live in the Old Testament? (laughs) Today... Bill, Bill did a thing on, on the communion, the blood of Jesus. Aren't you glad you have the blood of Jesus? How many of you think that you've stepped into the sanctuary a time or two yourself with some incense, metaphorically speaking, and thank God you didn't get leprosy? But there's some powerful principles that we can learn from this, and I want to share a few of them. Remember, it was when Uzziah died that Isaiah saw the Lord. Uzziah was a man that God's presence was really on. He was prophesied to be king. He becomes king. He has a great friendship with Zechariah. And the first thing I want to say about that is, is that you need people who bring out the best in you. Ecclesiastes says, says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls, there's one there to lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's no one to lift him up. It's interesting that Uzziah actually served the Lord during all the days of Zechariah, his friend, the prophet. But when Zechariah dies, Uzziah goes his own way. Let me just say this. Everybody needs a godly person to connect to. Everybody. I don't care who you are. If you're Bill Johnson, you're Billy Graham, or it doesn't matter who you are, Jesus sent all the disciples out by two. It is something, there's something powerful about being with someone who connects with you in the Lord. Yes. Oh, I wish I could find a better way to say that. But that's the truth. There's something about partnership that actually keeps me not just in, let's see. Uh, listen, there is something about partnership in helping getting things done. Bill and I have been partners for years and years and years. And obviously everybody knows that there's, I couldn't do what I do without Bill. That's, that's a given. But we are partners. And we've done way more together than we could have done apart. And, and of course we have a team and, and now family and all these folks. And I want to bless everyone. I'm just trying to make a point. Like we actually need each other for ministry. 
But more importantly, we actually need each other in our relationship with God. We actually need this connection that we have. It doesn't just benefit the stuff we do, it benefits the people we've become. Are you with me? There's something about being separated from the people you've been called to that makes you vulnerable to other opinions and it's easy to get polluted, especially as, your, as God expands your prominence, fame. There's a, 10 words I could think of, synonyms, your, your realm of authority, your, your wealth, your, your power, whatever word you want to put out, as God increases you, it's so much more important that you stay more connected, more vulnerable, in front, more, you know, are you with me? I remember years ago, I've told the story many times, when Bill left Weaverville, we were together 17 years there, and when Bill left Weaverville, we were apart for a couple years, and we went to uh, Colorado together to minister to my son-in-law's and my daughter's um, YWAM base, and great story. For the sake of time, we were in the ho- uh, room together. I was going to say hotel room. <laughs> it wasn't a hotel room. It was barely a cabin. And uh, we were in this small cabin together. Um, I don't know how many square feet it was. It's, you know, how memory is. But maybe 300 square feet, very small. It just had a bed, a, a, one twin bed here, and one twin bed there, and a bathroom. If it had more than that, I don't remember. But every night, I would get up to go to the restroom in the middle of the night, and I'd walk by Bill's bed, who was, he was completely asleep, and he was laying on his back, and he'd be saying, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you're amazing. Jesus, I need you. In his sleep, I cried for six straight nights. And I said to myself, like, I need this man in my life. Like, I've had two years without him. Like, there's something about my soul that needs to stay connected to this, not for what we can do, but for the man I'm supposed to be. These are covenant relationships that we have for life. And yes, they're messy. Yes, we struggled. Yes, we've had our struggles. You always have struggles with people you're with forever because you're with them forever. (laughs) And you go through things and you don't always think alike, but that's part of the beauty of it. Uh, I love this verse, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Next verse. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. It's so funny. That word, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, it's the Hebrew word which I'll never even try to pronounce, but it means to sharply disagree. It means... I have a friend, and when I'm going the wrong way, my friend sharply disagrees with me. <laughs> He's stimulating me to good works by sharply disagreeing with the direction I'm going. How many need a friend, that kind of a friend? We think of friends, oh, we have our friends over, we watch TV, we love football. Oh, I love those kind of friends. But this kind of friend is the one who sharply disagrees. He has a place in my life. She has a place in my Are you with me? Yes. Iron sharpen iron, so one man sharpens another. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That kind of thing. We need people who can sharply disagree with us and stimulate us to good deeds. I mean, the picture is, I'm going this way. My friend goes, hey, that's not the way to go. And I keep going. He goes, I sharply disagree with you. 
I'm stimulating to love and good deeds. How many know the truth is if Uzziah would have had that in his life, the evidence shows that when he had that in his life, he served the Lord. But when he didn't have it in his life, his fame got the best of him, his arrogance, his pride got the best of him, and when Uriah died, evidently, and this is subjective, but evidently he didn't have someone who sharply disapproved of him, and someone who didn't have a great vision with him. I'm just saying, man, I think character is so important, but character doesn't even, it doesn't happen in the absence of a village And it definitely doesn't happen in the absence of people walking with you who can sharply disagree with you and stimulate you to love and good deeds. That's the truth. He went on to war. I'll say a few things. Success is a dangerous place to live. Let me just say it one more time. It's really a powerful statement. I'm not saying don't be successful, so let me finish. But success is a dangerous place to live. We're called to live in success. It's a dangerous place to live. I love what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Solomon said it like this, the crucible. How many know Solomon? I don't know. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold, but each man is tested by the praise accorded him. Now, there's other verses in Proverbs that talk about trials testing you. But here he said, favor tests you. How many know you become famous? That's a much harder test than a trial. Or it can be. Let me say it this way. It's one of the tests that people tend to fail. We tend to hunker down and do the right thing when we're in a big crisis. But we tend to like relax and lose our edge when we're prospering. (laughs) So example, I was watching the Cavs play tonight. I love LeBron James. I also love the Warriors, so I am, I don't know, dualistic or whatever. (laughs) But the Cavs were up tonight, 26 points on on the third quarter. They put in their second string, and they lost in overtime. I I mean, I, I... I'm watching and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you actually need to win this game. I tell you what you do. You stop, you stop playing to win and you start playing to not lose. This is what happens sometimes when we get successful. And the other thing that happens is you start to, you start to depend on your success instead of the thing that made you successful. Pride can make you believe that you know more than, you, than everyone else. Causing people to stop being, causing you to stop being influenceable. There's so much to say about all of these. Another thing that hit me from this story is authority in one area doesn't mean you have authority in another. It's important that you know your realm. Maybe some some people say, know your lane. How many of you know Uriah was king and God blessed him? But he wasn't a priest. (laughs) It's funny, like, he ruled everything except for this little space called the temple. But he wanted to rule in there too. How many know, you may be the leader of a church. It doesn't mean when you step in your, the business world with your congregant that you have authority there. (laughs) 
it doesn't automatically mean that, I need to think through this, but I'll just say it, it doesn't automatically mean that you have authority in your city. At least not the same authority you have in the church. I think it's really important that we understand that our anointing is for a realm, not for every realm. Pride blinded Uriah, Uzziah, I'm sorry. Pride blinded Uzziah to the fact that although he was king of the, his known world, he was not king of the temple. Here's another concern I have. Learning to be under authority is paramount in being successful in the kingdom. This is huge, and I'm going to take the last five minutes to talk about this, or maybe ten. Do you know who had authority in the temple? The priests. So how many understand when the priests were in the Uzziah's kingdom, he had authority over them? But how many understand that when he stepped into their world, they had authority over him? But he didn't recognize that. They tried to keep him from the problem, a serious problem that ultimately tormented him the rest of his life. They tried. They caught him. Eighty priests caught him at the door. You know why eighty? Because he wouldn't listen to one. They called the other priests valiant men. Why? They're trying to stop a king. How many know you need 81 valiant priests to stop a crazy king who's bent on arrogance? And they meet him at the door, if you will, and try to usher him out. And instead of listening, he's too arrogant to realize that the priests are not trying to hurt him, they're trying to help him. But this guy's had authority so long, he doesn't even know how to be under authority. I want to end with this last thought about authority. I, I, I really, this is really a big thing to me. I... We're raising kids in a no-spanking world. You're like, what does that have to do with authority? I'm, I'm going to walk a really thin line here. So here we go. I believe in some ways in negotiating with our children. And let me tell you what I mean by that. We need to teach our children what to think. So I very much believe in when our children do something, let's say they're being loud in the front room, I actually do believe in, would you like to go in your bedroom or would you like to go outside? And the reason I think that's great is because we're teaching our children how to think. And teaching your children how to think at two is a great plan. Because when they get 18, the goal is that they've already been thinking for themselves for about 14 years. And part of the challenge is kids grow up in controlling homes and they get out at 18, and they have no idea how to solve a problem they haven't seen at home because they don't know how to think. So, did you hear that? Here's the other side of it. Kids need to understand that it's no because I said no. Okay, I know I'm going to get opposition. I can feel it before I even preached it. I'm saying you can't hold down a job if you can't take a no that isn't explained. You can't have a relationship with God if you can't take a no that isn't explained. God, I want to buy this house. No. Why? I'm not obligated as God. I'm not God. If I'm, I'm not, God's not obligated to explain why he said no. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. He's going to say no without, uh, without telling you why. Normally, 
until you learn how to be a slave. Because until you've been a slave, you can't be a friend. I no longer call you slaves, because the slave does not know what his master is doing. But now I call you friends. How many understand you learn obedience before you learn friendship? And we've grown up in a world, and we are raising children in a world. I'm watching my friends raise kids that don't know how to take no, and it's because I said so. And it's because the police said so. And it's because the pastor said so. And it's because the teacher said so. Well, what's the reason? I don't actually have to have a reason, because I'm in charge of you. No, you heard the first part of my message, and I would, I'll probably speak on that at some point. And Danny Sook's done a wonderful job, by the way. So if you think I'm disagreeing, I'm not with Danny. I'm simply saying the other side of it is, and I understand that it was overemphasized in the generation prior, but like Bill Johnson has said so many times, when we react to something's wrong, we create a worse perversion than what we reacted to. And to not teach our children that there are people in our lives that don't have to give me a reason why it's no. So when they come home from school and they go, teacher, da-da-da, and da-da-da-da. Listen, what they're saying might make me mad, but the worst thing I can do is tell them, well, your teacher, you tell your teacher. No, no, what did your teacher say? Well, what do you complain at the table for? Go do what your teacher told you to do. I mean, at least your, unless your teacher did, told you to do something perverted or, you know, obviously morally wrong or something like that. Besides that, the teacher has authority. Well, the teacher's not a believer. The teacher has authority. I, if I send my kids to school, you may not know this, but I, you, actually, you actually assigned your authority for six hours or eight hours to those teachers. They have your authority. If the teacher does something you don't like, you can go talk to the teacher. That's all great. Parent to teacher is great. But student to teacher, there better be respect unless it's really a perversion. Dude, we got shootings in school because kids don't know how to be under authority. We got riots in the streets because kids don't know how to be under authority. I understand it's bigger than that. I hear all this stuff in my head right now, and I, I multitasking thinker myself, so I can argue with my point, but my point is still true. <laughs> I know I'm listening to my brain, police brutality, da-da-da, it's not always true, but the attitude is always true. The attitude is always true. Jesus said to the disciples, you know that the Pharisees, they sit in the seat of Moses, therefore listen to them. He's like, Jesus is like, I totally don't agree with them. But they sit in the seat of Moses, so listen to them. What? God actually respects authority. Now there's civil disobedience and all that. I'm talking about training our kids and not getting that deep. If my kids understand authority, then in the two times in their school life that they decide to not obey we're all going to respect that. We're going to go, well, there must be something really awkward because Johnny wouldn't do that unless there was a good reason, right? And then we're going to support Johnny. But it's the exception. It's not the rule. Right? Coming home from church and talking about the sermon negatively is teaching your kids how to not respect authority. Watching 
talk shows with your children about the President of the United States, whether it's President Obama, President Clinton, President Bush, or President Trump. Turning that stuff on while my kids sit there and listen to garbage spoken about the leaders of our country is poisoning their understanding of authority. And it will come back to bite you. You teach your kids to rebel against the President of the United States, and I guarantee you, they will rebel against you. It's the truth. Now, you can teach our kids how to think respectfully. We can respectfully disagree, but respectfully doesn't mean that I rant and rave for 20 minutes and then say, let's pray for them. That's not respectful. So much crap done in the name of God it makes me sick. I'm persecuted for the sake of Christ. No, you're being stupid. Your kids are watching you. Be stupid. Telling you, we have to restore the sense that some people in our lives have authority over us. They don't have to give us a reason. Now, hopefully they have a good reason, but they are not obligated to give you one. When you're 18 years old and you go to work at Burger King and they go, flip the burgers after 20 seconds. They go, why 20 seconds? Just flip the burger when the frickin' bell goes off. I'm not gonna teach you about meat. Just do what you're told. How many understand it's like, this isn't hard. But we're in a generation that wants to question everything. And I'm like, there are some things to question and there are some things to just do what you're told. Just flip the burger. Maybe you'll be the owner of Burger King someday. Who knows? The president or something, CEO. But if you don't flip the burger when the bell goes off, you aren't going to be the head of anything. Except for maybe the mission. Rescue. So, Uzziah did not know. He knew how to be an authority but he did not know how to be under authority. It's so important. In closing, are you under authority? Yes, the Lord's my shepherd. Come on, man. We both know that's a cop-out. You're smarter than that. The Lord happens to be invisible. How we know you're following him. When you say, when someone asks you if, who, who, Who's the authority you're under? And you say, the Lord. That's a great way of saying, nobody tells me what to do. Nobody visible has the right to tell me what to do. And I'm telling you, you are missing out on life. Because authority is in your life for good, not for evil. Authority is in your life for good, not for evil. When I say to my kid, don't run out in the street. Why? We ain't having that conversation right now. I'm going to spank your little bottom. I'm going to give you a magic moment. (laughs) I'd rather this hurt than you get run over. I'd rather you listen to me because you respect me, but until you do, this other thing will work also. It's called the fear of the Lord. <laughs> Keeps me from getting run over by cars when I don't know why he doesn't want me to do that. 
This is pretty big in our culture. I've seen a lot of parents negotiating with their children, their two-year-olds. Now, Johnny, you know when you grow up, oh, please, Johnny doesn't even know what grow up means. Just tell him to get his rear in the car. Or he's not going to get Cheerios for breakfast or something, whatever. You know, you're going to have a timeout till you're 28. You know, just something so that there's blessings and curses. Something. All right, I need to just ditch the flame. <laughs> Would you stand? I want to pray for you all. caught the heart of what I'm saying, right? You, you did read, you, I know, you read between the lines. You understand in between my joking, there is a serious point there, right? That authority is really important in our lives. And we really do need to pass that on to our children. And we need to make sure we ourselves are under authority. Because how many you know, you only have as much authority in your life as you submit to. So, Put your hand on your heart. Say this. Search me, Lord. See if there's anything in me that needs to change. Okay, now just close your eyes for a minute. You're gonna be, we're going to be done in three minutes, probably four. Just giving you a minute just to actually do what you just asked the Holy Spirit to do. Okay, respond appropriately to the Holy Spirit right now. If he's pointed out something in your life, then ask him for his help. Because you need his help, so do I. Also ask him to remind you. Because if it's a pattern in your life, it might be something you forget when you walk out of these doors. Give him permission to remind you. You folks that are watching on Bethel TV, just do the same with us. Just be part of this tribe. Now, Holy Spirit, I thank you for this this great family, this tribe, this growing tribe. I thank you for the ability to be one of the fathers in this tribe. I pray that you give every one of them wisdom right now. They've asked you, many of them, many of us have seen things right now. We're not looking for junk in our lives, but there's just sometimes there's just areas that need to be, we need attention. And I pray, God, that you would just give us grace, as you did to Uzziah, to Isaiah, during the days of Uzziah. Give us grace. Put the coal on our mouth, on our lips, on our hearts. Lord, we need and suddenlies. Some of us have struggled for a long, long, long time. And we need and suddenlies. We pray for the healed marriages. We pray for children that are wayward tonight. Lord, we're reminded 
of those who are wayward. We thank you for the promise that your sons will come from afar and that your daughters will also be carried in arms. We thank you, Lord, that you love them more than we do and that when our job is done, your job's never done in their lives, that you're always, always a loving father to them. And Lord, I bless every single person in here in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Chris, why don't you come and just... So good. So, so good. All right, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do ministry tonight. So we're going to have our fire tunnel team. We're going to have our, our ministry team come forward. We want to pray for everybody who wants prayer tonight. So if we could create a fire tunnel. Oh, and uh, our students are still on missions, but those that are present, if you could help us out. We want to, all hands on deck. We need as many people as possible from our ministry team and our school of ministry students. So if you're able to help us, that'd be greatly appreciated. And so you can come on forward for our team, our ministry team. And then those of you that are going to go through the tunnel, will be the middle row is where you'll, you'll go through. Bring your belongings with you. We'll see where we're at with two tunnels or we might make one tunnel. For our ministry team, school ministry students that are still here. You guys want to come down? Elijah, do you guys want to come down, scoot down more? We need to fill this whole thing. Some of you that are down at the end of that tunnel, we can get some people over here. You guys want to come down some more? John, we need to scoot this down. Great. Yeah, so we should have them come, a couple here. Couple can go right there, right down there. Be perfect. All right. Uh, the, so we're gonna have everybody go through the tunnel tonight. Get, so here's what we're gonna do. As you go through, keep your feet moving. Our team will pray for you. That's all we ask. Just keep your feet moving and we'll make sure we pray for everybody. All right, so go ahead and make your way down to center. Those two lines down the center. for joining us. On our website, Bethel.com, you can find our pastor's itineraries who may be visiting a place near you. Seth Dahl will be in Etobicoke, Canada, April 13th through the 15th. And Bill Johnson will be in Pasadena, California, April 18th through the 19th. Now we want to hear from you. If you have any prayer requests, you can email them to pastor at Bethel.tv. Our team would love to pray for you. 
and be sure to send us your testimonies as well. We've recently heard a testimony from a pastor in New York whose house had caught fire. He was able to put it out, but inhaled significant amounts of smoke. For an entire year, he struggled with his breathing and had to limit all activity. 12 months later to the week, a visiting businessman was praying for him, completely unaware of the pastor's condition. But he felt like he was supposed to metaphorically inject his chest with God's love. Immediately, the pastor was able to breathe in fully. And the next day, he reported 100% breathing capacity for the first time in 12 months. We pray that you would experience God's love in every area of your life. We speak redemption and restoration over you, believing God will make all things new. Thank you for watching Bethel TV and joining us and our Bethel family around the world. We hope to see you again soon.